You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza. Welcoming back, Chris Anderson. Chris, we led off our last episode, which spent a lot of time on uniforms. Talking about recruiting and how June has turned out for West Virginia, which let's pat yourself in the back here, pretty much what you anticipated and, and prognosticated that West Virginia would do well, would clean up with some recruits, might have some losses to offset a greater number of wins. And that's what we've seen. West Virginia's class has grown in size and respect nationally. Um, top 20 pretty much the entire month. Top four in the Big 12, which is kind of concerning and scary when you think about like some of the schools that are not above West Virginia, like Oklahoma and Texas. Kind of a weird thing. But um, more to the point, it's been a productive month, and it's going to end with a flurry here. Beginning on Wednesday, we're talking on a Tuesday because I'm traveling this week, but beginning on Wednesday, a lot of visitors on campus. We anticipate activity. So by the time you hear this, some things may have already happened, and then some more things may be imminent. We're not sure. One way to find out, press F5 on your screen. You'll see the news. Keep track of things. Get that VIP membership. Tell your friends the same. But we're going to focus here on defensive line because, you know, it's it's not the strength of the class. When you look at who and what has propelled West Virginia to its lofty rankings, it's skill position guys on offense and defense and, and some guys who aren't even here anymore but help them um, more when they were part of the class. And Cameron Calhoun be the player I'm talking about there. But... There are a lot of promising signs about how they've recruited the trenches and in particular the defensive line that has really become a backbone of this class, which is what they want to do. They want to have the backbone of their team, maybe their defense in particular, to be the defensive line. And it seems to me like they've they've got this figured out a little bit where they're they know who and what they want and they're able to get it and, and be quick and urgent about it for themselves and for the players too. Yeah, they have uh, already made some moves on some guys, have others coming in. And have others on the back burner. There seems to be a pretty uh, clear hierarchy, I guess you would say, uh, about what they want and who they want in, in this defensive line group. And, and one thing is extremely clear is that they want to refill this room with this class because there are already three commitments in this class. And that does not include somebody like James Hurd, who is definitively a bandit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, some. Some sites have him listed as a defensive end, uh, others as linebacker. I think we have him as a linebacker just because there's no, um, you know, bandit position in our in our database. But that is what he's being recruited for. So I'm not even including him in the numbers that we're going to talk about here. But you could see him lining up as that, you know, fourth guy on the line with his hand in the dirt, fifth guy on the line with his hand in the dirt. If it gets really weird, but that that is what you're looking at um, as far as numbers. You got three already in the class. You got at least two more coming in this weekend, uh, maybe three, maybe a little sneaky three coming in this weekend. And then there's a couple other guys that might not be visiting this weekend, but would be takes down the road because West Virginia, they're just not done. I could see them taking upwards of five, five players on the defensive line in this class, which seems like a lot, but they might need them all. Like they legitimately might need that many players to kind of refill this uh, defensive line group. 
this is great for West Virginia because as you and I seem to agree that they've kind of hit a stride on defensive line recruiting and we can get into particulars for their requisites and what they want, who they want. But the matching up of, of need because of their age and experience presently, but also departing the defensive line. And that's merging with your unlimited cap. It's a heck of a time to know what you're doing. Is it not? Yes, absolutely. Okay. How have they gotten here? Is it, because I don't, I don't think they've missed on a lot of defensive line. Maybe some transfers, but that's that's harder to do. But um, the hope is that guys that are are younger, are redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, that they're going to fill in this year and be good players. But also, like through that, they've also been able to identify more precisely or more competently the types of players they want too. Um, has it been? It hasn't been messy. Have they been consistent with their approach? Have they tinkered it a little bit? And then. Are they better because they can gamble a little bit? And I hate to use that word because I don't think it's a gamble, even though in some extent everything is. Or are they just expanding their, their reach and just grabbing more players that they've identified? I think they they just know that, that that's one of the most important positions in the on the field. I think they've had success in not only identifying good players, but develop, developing them once they get here. Uh, and, and they're hoping that can continue because they, they like a lot of the guys that they're recruiting, obviously. And... The big part is those guys also like West Virginia and want to be part of this class. I mean, Justin Benton was a guy that was hardly mentioned with West Virginia until, you know, a month or two ago when he put West Virginia in his top eight. And then all of a sudden he's only taking one official visit. And that one official visit is to West Virginia, obviously uh, uh, ending up committing a few days after that trip and, and being a huge part of this class. One of the top rated kids in the class. Uh, Cameron Jackson was one of the first ones in this class. Uh, joining teammate and quarterback Raheem Jeter uh, with an early commitment. And then Iman Smalls, who this is an interesting one. You know, people were asking me, hey, why why is this kid not ranked? Why is this kid not ranked? And well, it's it's a little this was a little difficult because he had a productive junior year. But he weighed three hundred and forty five pounds, almost three hundred fifty pounds. And West Virginia and several other schools were like, that's just not something you can do. At the power five level, you cannot be that size. And what did he do? He went out and lost 45 pounds and apparently in a good way and is now around 290, 295 pounds. And and West Virginia accepted his commitment, liked his hard work, liked his work ethic, um, combined that with his productivity already in high school. And they decided that this was a good pickup for them and took his commitment uh, after his official visit. So, but how do you, how do we as a recruiting service rank a player who the last time he played was legitimately 45 to 50 pounds heavier. It, it's difficult that no one has seen him play at 295 pounds yet. Um, not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. I think it's a good thing for West Virginia because if he, he has that kind of work ethic where you can lose 45 pounds, uh, that tells you something about, about, again, about his work ethic and what he might be able to do once he gets to college. A couple of things. Uh-huh. I love a big guy whose name is Eamon Smalls because now he is Big E Smalls. I'm not oh, the God. first, not the first or hundredth person to point that out, but if they do not have kick in the door queued up for any of his TFLs or sacks, I'm going to be highly disappointed in the audio crew. Uh, number one, number two, I love a guy that has done the work already, um, challenged, responded, and if you have questions about a kid's discipline or commitment in high school, that can be a red flag. The only way to get rid of that red flag is to grab it and snap it over your knee and turn that into, you know, 
something different, a green light, I guess. I'm mixing metaphors here, but you get my point. And, and he did that. And then you probably have fewer worries about that guy once he gets on campus. If he wants it that bad and he already did it, listen, tell him that guy to do drills or to ride an exercise bike or to get two treatments or to make sure he's eating right is less of a concern for you. So kudos to him for getting that done. Number three, I'd love to sit down and have a pizza at Lefty's with this guy and talk about how he dropped 40 pounds the good way. <laughs> because <laughs> that is commendable to lose that much weight and to still be effective and, and to have all the other stuff that goes with it, which leads to this. Um, if you look at players that they recruited, and uh, I'm going to single some people out here just because, but um, let's just say like a Taurus Simmons, a Sean Martin, a Hammond Russell, probably Jordan Jefferson, Ed Vesterinen, Braden Dudley, Eric Burton, I guess the key Lawton would count, and then probably most intriguingly, Asani Redwood. They're on the roster. Um, and then the players that they have, I don't know, let's say gotten to commit or have, have flirted with, and, and as you hinted at, may still be flirting with here late in the game. It seems to me they want big guys who have power and explosion. Are they position-specific? Not necessarily. Um, are they big enough that they're definitely this, or are they long enough and light enough that they're definitely this, and I'm speaking like just inside or just outside? No. You're going to see guys who can play tackle and and You're going to see guys who can play nose and tackle, which is still like tackle and tackle. But they, and Jordan Leslie said this too, if they can get athletes, guys who can move in space, and and command that box they play in, but have explosion and power. You can teach technique and and get better at that, but the stuff that's just intrinsic with you that are athletic gifts, it does seem like that is synonymous with the players that I've rattled off and the players that they've gotten to recruit. Smalls would be one of them. Benton would be one of them. And then some other players they have their eyes on, um, I would assume would be in that because if it sounds like they're not done, they're still looking and, and you can look at the same lens and, and find the same skills in the players that they are evaluating, whether it's for 23 or beyond. Yeah. You look up and down the roster and you see a lot of, or up and down the target list that you see a lot of guys that, that have really developed that have improved their game over the last couple of years and have some, some elite and unique skill sets. And West Virginia seems to be in it for a lot of them. Um, obviously this weekend, there is at least one visitor coming in. I mean, Cameron Jackson, who's already committed, is, is a defensive lineman coming. Corey McIntyre Jr. Um, name might sound familiar to you longtime WVU fans out there. WVU Legacy coming up to campus. Uh, it is not often that West, Virgi West Virginia does not mess around with legacies or in-state kids. Like, I, this is going to sound strange, but for... When you're recruiting guys, obviously, you know, there's offers, there's quote unquote offers, there's however you want to look at it, whether they're takes, not takes, all that stuff. And West Virginia tries to make things as clear as, as possible for everyone, but in particular, in-state kids and legacies. And so the fact that he's coming up at this point in the game tells me that West Virginia is very serious about him. Um, again, I mentioned Cameron Jackson coming up there. They may not be done. Another guy, speaking of in-state guys. Braden Ward from Riverside came to camp earlier Looked this great. month. Looked great. Really? Yeah. Like 6'6", 225, legit, legit. Those are both legit numbers. Had a wingspan of 83 inches. I mean, we're talking a wingspan almost seven feet long. And and when you think like, what does wingspan have to do with anything? This isn't basketball. Think about all those times that you see an edge rusher come around the edge and that tackle kind of skirts him a little bit upfield, pushes, lets him go upfield, rides him upfield so he gets away from the quarterback. 
and you see the defensive end reach out for the quarterback and just misses by a couple inches of, of knocking the ball loose or getting a hand on the jersey. If you have a seven-foot wingspan, you're not missing that ball by two inches. You're not missing that jersey by two inches. You're causing a sack. You're causing a fumble. So it means something. And when he is, he is a guy as raw as he is, he looked, when he was going through drills, he started out pretty hesitant. And it's because he is essentially, I can't remember if somebody told me it was his first, second year playing football. Like He's just extremely new to the game of football. And he got more, he got cleaner and cleaner as the camp went on. And it became clear that West Virginia was extremely interested in him. So I would not be surprised. I don't know about this weekend, but maybe this fall if he came up on an official visit because West Virginia is serious about their recruitment of him. He's dominant in basketball too sometimes, which <laughs> not a surprise, but like if you go, you'll, I'm not sure how many football clips I've seen of him. Cause I definitely went down the rabbit hole just to figure out who is this guy. Cause he, I don't, I don't know if like Austin is a good comparison, but like Sean Austin's a big guy, but doesn't he be six, four, two fifty, but you're like, that guy's gotta be like six, seven, two seventy, Right. Cause he just looks like he's big and he, but he's physically mature. And this kid is watching, just looking at him run around. You're like, man, that's a big kid. And you definitely believe 6'6", 225. But, I, like, his basketball stuff is kind of fun to watch. Um, I'm pretty sure that he's broken multiple backboards. Which that's matters awesome. only to me. But, like, <laughs> uh, what a seven-foot matter, too, in football. Yeah, close passing windows after the quarterback. But if you can keep that distance between you and an offensive lineman, you're, and your hands are going to be free, that's something that Leslie teaches all the time, too, is that hand pop and extension and keeping guys off you. What do offensive linemen want? They want to close that gap. They want to keep you chest to chest so they can move you. It's hard to move you around if your arms are extended and you can maintain that leverage. So that's pretty good for him, too. Um, take me inside the camps here, Chris. We've talked about, you know, explosion, power, things like that. In combines, you can have guys do the bench press and do different strength activities. Very, very rarely do you see that on campus. When when kids go to, you know, some network or some company's exposure camp, they may do some of that stuff. Universities aren't going to do that. Probably can't get away with it, but from what you see out there and your conversation with coaches, what are they doing to get for a defensive lineman to get an idea of how explosive, how powerful they are, what their burst is? Do they have these qualities that we've listed that they are looking for? How do they get to that conclusion? Yeah, you're right. The the weightlifting stuff, none of that, that would never get cleared um, for insurance purposes, I guess, liability purposes. Uh, I'm surprised they don't do broad jump. Honestly, because I think that that can tell you some of the power that you have in your lower body. Uh, but that is not something they do. They do do vertical, which can tell you some of that. Um, obviously, weight plays a factor in that and everything, too. So uh, they look at that. But once they break up into position drills, that's when things get really important for defensive linemen. I mean, it really gets important for everybody. Obviously, like when you're seeing corners and safeties, you, you're checking out their hips when you're checking uh, receivers and running backs, you're looking at their footwork and how they can move. But on the defensive line, they have them going through what they call circle drills, uh, mm -hmm. where they, they lay out a big, huge circle. They're going through that. How quickly are you lowering your shoulder and getting around that circle and, and kind of getting upfield as fast as possible? Then they go through bag drills where you're you're making a, giving a good hard punch, making some cuts, doing your footwork. How quickly? Are you able to, how's your hand-eye coordination, your, your foot-hand coordination? Are you able to chop your feet and punch at the same time in the correct order, get to the next bag, give a good hard punch, dip your shoulder, go again and again and again? They'll put a bar on their shoulders. It's a, a pole, basically, that's about four feet long, and it goes behind their head up on their shoulders, almost like you're doing a squat, except there's no weight to it. 
and you have to put your hands on there and you're dipping and you're going between um, poles that are sticking up, up and down or bags that are sticking up and down. And that's to tell how quickly and how well you can adjust your body and, again, dip that shoulder because that's how you get that leverage on would-be blockers. And those are the ways that they tell it through individual drills before you get to one-on-ones against the offensive lineman. Interesting. Uh, let's close to this. This is always an interesting conversation about this position relative to West Virginia. And you've been doing this long enough now that you can compare and contrast then and now and, and multiple staffs too. But the persona, the attitude toward recruiting this position or these positions at West Virginia has and, and probably still be will be to some extent unique. They played a 3-3-5 because they said it's going to be really hard to build a defense based on defensive linemen that can affect line of scrimmage, pressure the passer, and do what you have to do in major college football. Let's do something different. So they were they were unorthodox and, and successful. 3-3-5 was good. They had good edge players. But when they were really good, they had very good defensive linemen, too. And you think about especially their nose players and when they had edges at the same time, the defensive line was the best part, which makes you think that this is kind of common across time. If you have a good defensive line that can affect the game and you can use your other layers of the defense to do what they're designed to do, probably going to be pretty good. Um, we've talked about the geography. we talked about the demographics of the state of the region, and then you have to go far away from home to get really good defensive linemen by and large, where you find larger populations, you're going to find more players. That's common sense. We can debate that for no purpose, but it seems to me now that like this staff in particular has kind of scoffed at that. And maybe it's because of their parameters um, and maybe it's because of their developmental plan or, or whatever, but they've said, yeah, maybe true geography, demographics, all those prior hurdles. Sure. We can't move them. We can avoid them, we can evade them. We can go under them, around them, through them. And it seems like it's worked. Um, how, what, what do you, how would you compare the attitudes of the staffs and maybe these position coaches that you've covered, the evolution of it, and maybe more importantly, the reception from the recruits? Because I would imagine it's one thing to go into a kid's living room and say, hey, we're playing a defense that compensates for our lack of ability to recruit defensive line. And then the defensive lineman that they're talking to is probably going to be like, oh, really? I can't imagine what mom and grandma in the room think about that, too. Whereas now, again, the same obstacles are in place, but you're talking to a kid about your defensive line. We think that you were part of a plan to overcome these things. We think you're good enough to make it work. It seems like two different sides of the spectrum that may or may not work out will tell. But also when you think about the past, like it's, it wasn't a bad approach either. It was just different. Um, it's a long-winded question, I guess, but... Then versus now, approach, perception versus reception. How has it shifted, and, and, and what have you witnessed in your time? I think now they are targeting higher-level recruits and simply saying, we think you are talented enough and versatile enough that we could play. you could play a bunch of different positions for us. Uh, in the past with that three, three, five, it was pretty specific. And, and when you are a defensive line, like it, it's, it's like the athletes, they all want to be wide receivers, but guess what? A lot of you are going to be cornerbacks, uh, that kind of thing. And, and a lot, every defensive lineman wants to be a pass rusher. They want to be a pass rusher. And so when it was the old three, three, five, it was hard for some defensive linemen to grasp the fact that, Hey, your job is to eat up blockers. That is it. We don't want anything. Look, just just do all the dirty work. That's all we want from you. 
and and there were very specific roles for those three three the the front three you know you had your nose and that was it you did this you didn't move around and, and the the two different defensive the defensive tackle on the defensive end i guess they called it and they had specific jobs now even though they list these titles these position titles however they list them there is a little more versatility with Jordan Leslie with his defensive front with AJ Jackson, you know, you're going to play a three, a five, a seven technique. You're going to play some zero. You're going to play some three. You're going to move around. They hear words like versatility. They hear, Hey, if you can get to the quarterback, go for it. We don't care if you're inside or outside, go for it. And I think that is something that I have heard from recruits that catches their attention, their ability to play multiple positions, their ability to play inside out, their ability to get after the quarterback. And that was something that I didn't see as often with the 335. Now, that's not a negative against the previous coaching staff or the previous defense. It was just this is very specifically how this defense is run. There's not a lot of movement around from position to position. And that's it. And it was successful. I know people, some people are a little eh on the 335, but it was successful at West Virginia. And this defense, also successful. And it just provides more versatility, which I think opens you up to more more uh, quantity-wise defensive linemen and more talented defensive linemen as well. I lied. Last question because you make a really good point. Targeting very good players is a very big part of this. Um, it's hard to get them, but on the back end, it's more rewarding. And I want to go to Justin Benton, who we had a clue it was coming, and West Virginia was kind of pressuring him is what we would heard. Like, hey, there's a spot for you if you want it, but golly, we can go out and we can get other people to play it because we've got this thing coming. That's what made me think like they're so confident in their capabilities right now too. But where he's from, and then some of the schools that were after him, it, it looks like a very big win. But as you've enumerated before, sometimes these offer lists and these pursuits are not are not real. And you mentioned one about an, a guy who was going to the SEC, and the SEC school said hey, he's going to visit West Virginia. And they just put that out there so that it wasn't true, and it made it look like that they beat out West Virginia for this kid. Um, you never named him. I'm not going to name him here. But if you've listened, you've heard that example. Benton's offer list, where he's from, and the fact that he ends up at West Virginia is, is pretty impressive, you think. Um, and the reality is not too far away from what we see here, too. But explain how he fits into this about targeting good players who are coveted and getting them and making your defensive line better. Yeah, so he was a guy that burst onto the scene as a freshman in high school, a freshman playing varsity at the highest level of football in the state of Georgia, which, again, they may not be one or two or three as far as you know, high school talent, they're close. They're, they're top five, maybe at worst, out of the 50 states with high school talent. So we're talking high-level high school football. And he is, what, a 15-year-old freshman, 14-year-old freshman. And he had, I think it was 79, it's off the top of my head, but I think it was 79 tackles and 16 tackles for loss and nine sacks. He was a, he was a monster and just picked up offer after offer. Everybody said, oh, yeah, this, is, this guy's legit. He's six one. He's a freshman in high school. He's six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds, and he's already doing this. We got to jump on him. And his dad had played at Georgia, uh, played at junior college, which that was part of the connection there with Jordan Leslie, uh, old junior college coaches connecting with through Jordan Leslie with Benton's father, who eventually played at the University of Georgia. Um, but then after that, you know, he was six one, two twenty, or whatever it was, in at freshman year. And he's six one and five eighths now. You know he didn't go to he didn't grow to six three or six four. Uh, and his sophomore season completely wiped out because of COVID. 
his junior season, he transferred to IMG Academy down in Florida, which again, you have to be something special to be invited to play for that team down at IMG. And he is something special. But a lot of times when you are something special and you are playing with 21 other something specials, you can kind of get lost in the mix there. And and I don't want to say he got lost in the mix. He had a, he had a, a solid season. He was a starter for them and he played for them and he did well for them. But then he chose to go back to high school in Georgia, back to his old high school, again, playing at the top level of, of high school football in Georgia. He was there this spring. And I mean, I think he all committable offers from a lot of those schools. Maybe not George anymore. Maybe not Tennessee anymore. Again, they they were teams that were expecting him to grow to six three, six four, and two fifty, two sixty, and he's still six one, six two, and they just kind of got other guys. So West Virginia still beat out a lot of very good schools to get him. He is still a very good talent, um, but you know it, this is this is where you're debating between. Hey, is this kid a top 100 kid or is he a top 300 kid in the country out of thousands and thousands and thousands of players? And, and he's looking more like a top 300 kid, which is <laughs> better than most uh, recruits that end up signing with West Virginia. If you're making excuses for getting a commitment from Justin Benton, you're in a pretty good spot. <laughs> yes. Like if you're having to defend it, well, you know, he's only 6'2", but he only made 79 tackles as a true freshman in Georgia. He's only at IMG. My bad. Sorry, we're better because of it. I mean, I think that's a pretty good defense from West Virginia there. And a great explanation from you, Chris, as we wrap up another episode. We'll be back before too long to recap everything that is sure to happen this weekend. Uh, I guess just to keep things going, Chris, I'll be out of town, but a lot of news will happen. So that'll keep the vacation slash news headline ball rolling, huh? That's right. I got camp. Uh, I guess maybe the day that everybody's listening to this depends on when it goes up. Uh, we got a final seven on seven. That'll be the last camp of June. Uh, and then official visit weeks, kind of some on Wednesday to Friday, some Thursday to Saturday. Uh, we'll be catching up with them as they're leaving campus. Uh, I'm fully expecting commitments with an S. Yes, for those that, that gave me hell about that after the first official visit weekend, uh, there is an S on the end of that word commitment. Um, and again, keep an eye on it uh, every year. You know, that last official visit weekend happens and it goes right into the dead period. And a lot of times, I mean, last year, for example, Jacoby Spells was one. Um, there were a couple others, too, that it, it, dead period ended. And it was like, all right, when are they committing? You have to give it a couple of days for that dead period to go. They, they want to sit, think, talk it over. And then, hey, just for just for funsies, they're going to announce it on like July 4th or something just just to. Really drive me crazy. Have no other way, right? <laughs> no other way. Uh, keep an eye on baseball recruiting too. We've had some interviews with some pitchers they brought in. They're looking for bats and pitchers too. They have they have some capital to to invest in in their program on roster spots, some NIL things, and they're attracted to teams that are looking for excuse me, the players that are looking for a spot to pitch. Um, they've got some versatile arms already on the books. They're looking for, like I said, a bat and some other people to help. That'll be good too. Um, and if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go like do push-ups and sit-ups and get some vitamins for my old self because I cannot believe that Corey McIntyre Jr. and Tory Johnson Jr., <laughs> kids of dads who I covered, are here visiting and, I don't know, perhaps in a position to recruit and be on teams that I will again cover. Not great for the psyche, Chris. It's been okay. a while. Generational talents. Generational you, You're a generational talent. Oh, thanks. So generational podcast in the books here. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later. 
Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.